Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision with Gregory Nielsen. My name is Greg Nielsen and I am the President and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting where we work with nonprofit leaders and organizations in areas including governance, strategy, performance management. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by a woman by the name of Rebecca Dupras. Rebecca, am I pronouncing your name correct first of all? Yeah, it's Dupre, but you got you got close. <laughs> I was close enough. Okay, Rebecca is an attorney uh, currently in the Rhode Island area, uh, and our today's topic that we're going to be discussing is toxic workplace culture and what to do if you are an individual and you find yourself in that situation, or if you're an organization trying to change the culture of the organization. So, Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And I'd like to start just by talking a little bit about your background. I know you're an attorney by background, but but just maybe share a little bit about uh, yourself and your leadership journey to this point. Sure. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much. Um, so, yeah, I am a lawyer. I uh, practice, have been practicing law since about 2006. I worked in a few law firms here in Rhode Island and then also had my own practice for a period of time. Um, I decided in... 2012 that I wanted to focus on charitable planning. So I left practicing law full time and started working at a community foundation here locally and um, had a really great experience there. And But I knew I wanted to do more. And so I applied for a position as a director at the Silicon Valley Community Foundation in California. What I, was um, your, um, packed up your I'm sorry, what was your first position at that, you said the local community foundation, what was kind of your entry level position there? Yeah, I was, um, I did all their planned giving. I was, I guess, essentially a development officer, but because of my background, they had hired me to manage their planned giving um, portfolio. So I was working with donors on making estate gifts and then on any sort of like complex asset gifts, like real estate and things like that. Um, So it was, it was more focused on that type of of work, which is what led me to director of plan giving at at the community foundation in California. Okay. Um, so it was a so it was a similar role in a sense, but it was much more advanced because I was actually at that point leading a team of people. Um, when I was at the Rhode Island Foundation, it was just me. Um, I was just an individual contributor. So I. I went out to SVCF um, as a director, and um, and while I was there, there was some uh, shakeups within the um, the leadership and things like that that kind of put me into a position where I was able to become the vice president of development. So then I was running the entire development department. And about how big was, was that department? It ranged anywhere from 10 to 15 um, people that were reporting to me. Okay. And then who, um, I, I guess, what was your reporting structure then? Mm-hmm. So I always reported to um, the chief business development brand officer, Mary Ellen Loyans, um, because we didn't have a VP when I got there. Um, so when I moved up, she was still my boss, and then her boss was the CEO. So it was a pretty short, um, <laughs> short structure <laughs> for me. So you and your team, what were some of your key accountabilities? So we were supposed to raise um, 
at least $600 million a year. That was the reported amount, but the real number was a billion dollars. Um, and we were in charge of opening donor advised funds, um, all the other fund services. And then we had this sort of unique um, business product that we called customized philanthropy services. So outside of the standard funds, we could do things for either individual fund holders, um, non-fund holders, or companies. So for example, we worked a lot with corporations and so we would, um, we they might have a corporate advised fund where they're giving money in and then making grants out, but then they want to do like a benchmarking survey to see where they are fitting in with, you know, like sized or like um, disciplined organizations. And so we could do that kind of thing for them. It wasn't really part of our fund services. So we would actually set up separate contracts with them. And then they would pay us to do those services either from, if they were charitable services, they could pay us with charitable money or they would pay us outside of the charitable money um, as just straight, you know, like a business relationship. No. And we could do that with individuals as well. I imagine anytime you're part of a uh, foundation that's that large, um, there's a lot of pressures aside from just raising, you know, 600 million, a billion, whatever that number is. What were some of those, I guess, internal pressures from the organization on you and your team? Well, on my team specifically, we were, because we reported to the chief business development and brand officer, Mary Ellen, who was, who was essentially the second in command to, to the CEO, even though it wasn't official, it was sort of just the internal understanding. Um, she was, she held everybody to a very high standard. And so she would explain to us being the development team that we were the standard bearers for the entire organization. Um, and that, you know, it was incumbent upon us to do everything perfectly because if we slacked off then it gave everyone else the right to slack off I didn't really I wouldn't say that that was true but that was what her mantra was to us and so some people really you know took that to heart and I think probably took it too far and it would cause a lot of internal struggles in the organization and trying to get things done and things accomplished because there was you know I think some animosity between the departments um, once I became the VP of development, I worked pretty hard to try to break some of that down because um, I felt like that wasn't a good way to operate a department. Um, but yeah, she was pretty adamant about that. Um, she was also very hostile towards people, very rude to people, sometimes to the point of it being harassment, I think, um, would make completely inappropriate comments to people made people cry in meetings. I mean, it was like the range of horrible things you could imagine that someone could do to you as a boss. Um, she would do them. And so internally, it was very hard to manage a team of people that were being subjected to this. Um, and then working with other people in the organization who were also being subjected to this. And I, I think it's fair to say a lot of, um, a lot of the struggles of the foundation during this time period that you're talking about have been publicly discussed. So we're not, we're not breaking new ground here. A lot of it has been in the media, mainstream media, um, 
but you were on the inside. You were, you were experiencing this as an employee of the foundation. And I guess what were your, um, maybe describe a little bit about the experience that you went through at the foundation and how that impacted you and your team. Sure. So there were red flags immediately when I first got there and, um, she would just say really terrible things. Um, I can give you a couple of examples just to sort of understand what was happening. She had in a meeting once um, threatened to stab another person that worked at the organization outside of the group that we were in because they had gone against something that she had said. Um, she said that if it ever happened again, she would stab that person in front of like my entire team. I wasn't the VP yet. I was like on the cusp of becoming in charge of everyone. Um, but it was pretty early on in my experience there. So it was, I mean, that was shocking, obviously. Um, she later on, after I became VP, actually threatened to kill anyone in my, on my team who ever went on a meeting alone. Cause she, we had this rule. We had to go on meetings together in like twos. Mm-hmm. And she verbally threatened the entire room and said that if she ever found out that they were doing that, she would kill them. <clears throat> Sorry, this gets me wor- a little worked up because it's really difficult. It, it's difficult to remember it. Um, so, you know, when she would make comments, she, you know, would make racial comments about people and talk about the way that they were dressed and the way that they looked and just really... Uh, outside of the bounds of anything that you would think would be okay. Um, And so it was, you know, the struggle for me at first was as obviously an employee was difficult to manage a person like this because, you you know, it's difficult to either have these things said to you or hear them said about other people. But then as I became, you know, in charge of the team and and I was hiring people into this organization, which happened a lot because as you can imagine, the turnover was pretty high. Um, I, st- I really, honestly, I became, I felt really guilty about it. I, I didn't and want a, to keep bringing people into a culture like this. That, that's a fascinating question. So as you're interviewing potential team members to join the organization how would you address that question if a candidate asked you, what is the workplace culture like? Did you, did you have anyone who ever asked you that? All the time. Um, so there's a website that I think a lot of people are familiar with called Glassdoor. And there were scathing reviews on that, had you know tons and tons of them. And they were specifically, most of them were about her, although most of them didn't name her by name. Um, and so people would come in and they'd say, I read the Glassdoor reviews or I heard things about this place or they would just ask a culture question. And I started to really just tell them the truth. I mean, not everything I just said to you, but right. tried to give them a sense of what was about to happen. And, you know, and I got a little bit of pushback sometimes from other people that were on the hiring teams that I was on that, you know, I shouldn't say these things to people because... They're not going to want to work there. And I just really came to the conclusion that, you know, it's if if I didn't at least give them some sort of warning and then they came in, they would feel like I was not being truthful 
so they would never really trust me. It becomes a question of ethics and trust in, in a sense. Yeah. And they probably would have quit anyway. Right. So why bother even, you know, so I, I mean, I wouldn't go too far into it, but I would try to give them a sense of what, you know, it looked like. Um, and so I actually, at some point feel like I kind of, I ended up hiring some people who at least were able to manage this a little bit better. And we, you know, the turnover did, you know, it, it didn't stop, but it, you know, it wasn't like it had been before. Um, so, but, you know, I took, I took a lot of hits and I mean, I think, you know, you can talk to people that work for me and confirm this and they've said this to other people. I know I kind of, I was the person that stood there and took the hits and I, it wasn't, I mean, I wasn't, this wasn't just me. I know other leadership team people who would, would act the same way with their team, but um, we would just take it, you know, and get yelled at and listen to the crazy comments and try to just diffuse the situation to just protect people from, from her. And this is a, this is obviously a very difficult topic to address, a difficult topic to talk about. And I appreciate your honesty um, and candor in, in, in speaking about this with me. Um, how long did this go on for in your organization? Um, well, from what I discovered as I was there longer, it had been happening basically the entire time she had been there, which was, um, well, probably the entire time that, um, at least the CEO had been there. So near maybe 11 years, I think. So it was well um, embedded in the culture at that point of the organization. Yeah. So the, the article that came out, the Chronicle of Philanthropy article was interesting because I was, I think a lot of the focus became on me for, because I had been the, the highest, you know, like I had held the leadership position and also had just left recently when the article came out. Um, but there were people that went on the record who had worked there six, seven, eight years before that, who had all told the same stories. So this was just part of the culture. It was built in, you know, to the structure. And your, your experience is obviously um, on the extreme end of the spectrum. But I, th I think it's important to point out for listeners that, you know, a toxic workplace culture, you know, there's a wide spectrum of things that one can experience. Uh, would you agree with me on that? Yes. I mean, that, so I one thing that I think was interesting, Greg, was that after the article came out and after I started going on the record, and making, you know, I basically just wouldn't shut up about it was essentially how I put it, um, was I got contacted by so many people who I never even met before, both who had worked at the organization a long time ago or never worked there, who would, and then people, I would go to conferences and people would, strangers would walk up to me and start telling me their stories. Wow. I mean, this, you know, and you figure that, for the amount of people that came forward to just to me to tell me their stories, if if you think about it from a statistics standpoint and extrapolate that out, how many more people are out there who have never told anybody what's happened to them? Right. And these are all just in philanthropy. Like this is just philanthropy. This is not outside of philanthropy. And none of this is unique to, I don't want anyone to get the impression that we're saying that this is unique to philanthropy or unique even no. to the nonprofit sector. This, you know, this type of culture can exist in any organization, for-profit or nonprofit. 
correct. Yes, um, absolutely. So for those who, who may be listening, um, you know, a natural question that would come up is, so as you're experiencing this, you know, what can only be described as bullying, harassment, um, did you report it to anyone within the organization? If, if yes, what happened? If no, maybe why not? What, what kept you from that? Sure. So I, I tried to talk to HR very delicately at first because I had heard that there was really no point in talking to anybody, but I thought I should at least try. Um, and so when I had, you know, like you have those, every organization is different, but you know, they had these like three month check-in, six month check-in kind of things. And so it was during one of those meetings and I've sat there and, you know, it was like, how are you doing? And I'm like, you know, and I just kind of said, I'm like, how do you think I'm doing? (laughs) I mean, you know who I work for, like, why are you even asking me this question? Right. And it was basically just, I was told that like, essentially you have to just learn to deal with it or you have to leave. Um, and that, you know, and so what, and I watched this happen to other people. So I watched people just sort of flame out, like they were superstars for a while with her and then they would just do something. I don't, sometimes you couldn't even tell what it was and they would just flame out and she would just go after them and basically force them out. And then, you know, HR would say things like, well, you know, if you can't handle it, you have to leave because there's nothing we can do about it. Um, I talked to people about going to the CEO and I was basically told never talk to him about her because he will just like be so angry with you and and then it's it's going to be bad for you. I tried to talk to him a couple of times very delicately just to make sure that that was true. <laughs> um and he definitely dismissed the conversation as irrelevant he did not want to have the conversation about her and i think that's what's that's what's sometimes missed about workplace harassment bullying toxic culture is you can take the same employee who is a complete rock star and when that culture goes bad or they, they experience something so intensely negative it can really have a negative impact on the overall performance not only of the employee but everyone that interacts with that person oh yeah I mean, that was a theme that came up after the article came out and, you know, we, some of us kind of, I I keep in touch with people who used to work there and even a few people I still work there. Um, And so we were talking, it was mostly former employees were having these conversations after the article came out and we were just talking about how, you know, how much we were able to accomplish in spite of this like this toxicity and bullying and harassment that we were all suffering with, but how much more we could have done if we had been in a supportive, you know, normal environment where people were not being mistreated on a daily basis. And so, you know, and so that was kind of what, you know, and I, I ended up writing an op-ed, um, when Emmett finally resigned last June in the Chronicle of Philanthropy, because I felt like, even though, like you said, this happens in all industries and it's always bad when it happens, the the particular thing for me with the philanthropic aspect is that 
charities are set up to do good. And the people that work there go there because they want to do good. They want to move the needle. They want to help people or some issue area that they feel strongly about. And there's, and they're given this like special tax status and this special, you know, like relationship in the community. And then to have this happen and to basically you, you're basically stealing from your donors and from the community that you're supposed to be serving because you don't get the best people. And even if you do, you burn them out to the point where they can't do their job at the most effective level. So there, there's un, you know, like this sort of ripple effect of what this kind of culture does inside of a community, I think is, is sort of unique to the philanthropic space. I work with a lot of organizations on the on the organizational development side around building a positive culture within their nonprofit organization, and I think that's one of the you're hitting on something that that I talk about and that is is very important to me is that there's a there's an extra cost to the community when the culture within an organization damages performance, and that that extra cost is all of the missed opportunities that that organization has to address whatever it is that's within their mission focus. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And it really, you know, it affects that it affects and it, you know, and then when things come out and it just puts a bad taste in people's mouth about philanthropy and it, you know, you just, there's so many things that can happen and in ways that this can impact people. And, and then, and then I think too, I don't, I don't discount the, the dollars. I mean, people within the community, this particular charity was obviously bigger. It was much more, you know, national or worldwide. We had donors everywhere. Um, but they trusted us with their money. Right. You know, they trusted us to do the right thing. And we betrayed that trust by allowing this to happen. And, and that and, trust, that yeah. public trust, as I talked about with nonprofits, that's the foundation of all that you are able to do in the community is the trust that that community places in you through their dollars, through their support, through their volunteer hours, through their board service to accomplish a particular mission. When that trust is damaged, boy, that's hard to get back. Yeah. And that's, you know, in some ways, that's what I... I thought was going to happen to a greater degree. And I don't have any, I don't have any ill will towards the people that work there. I think honestly, they were some of the smartest, most dedicated people I've ever worked with in my entire life. Um, I, like I said, I'm still friends with a lot of them and I think they're fantastic. Um, But there, you know, there hasn't been a lot of reckoning in my mind with this particular instance and this was like you said it was an extreme example and even in the most extreme example you know we saw within 48 hours of the article coming out my boss resigned shortly after that the HR person had to resign and then several months later I guess three or four months later the CEO resigns and he issues this statement that is public and if you read it it's just like the most tone deaf thing that you could ever possibly imagine he never acknowledges anything that's happened he doesn't apologize for anything he doesn't take any responsibility for what happened 
and then he gets to just leave and and potentially you know from what i could surmise based on again people telling me things and and you know i and i don't have any proof that this is true but he left seemingly with you know a negotiated exit is what i would call it and so who paid for that right that's what i would like to know and, and I if I was the, a donor, a big donor there, right. I would want to know the answer to that question. And, and I guess the second part to that, the danger is, you know, it, if, like we said, that was extremely public and well publicized um, as an example. And if there wasn't that kind of reckoning at a large philanthropic institution like that, if I'm working at a smaller nonprofit organization or a smaller community-based organization, um, what hope do I have or what reason do I have to expect that if I come forward, things will be any different? Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I want to say something that's going to be uplifting and like amazing right now, but <laughs> I don't know that I can do that and be honest. Right. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think that all, I don't think all hope is lost because I think that, we are starting to move into an age where people are able to come out and talk about these things and to potentially not be shamed. I wasn't shamed for coming out. I mean, you know, I had some other things that happened to me behind the scenes, but for the most part, people came up to me and told me that they thought I had done the right thing, you know, and they applauded what I did and they did the same for the other people that came out and came onto the record as well. Um, so I think that, that we're moving in a direction where if we have this conversation and we allow this conversation to be had, and, I, and I'm only talking about philanthropy because that's where it happened to me and that's sort of the lane that I'm choosing to swim in. Um, but I think philanthropy can do better. And I think it could be the example to other industries of how to do better um, and I think because of the way important. it's set up. That's an important point. So, you know, we talked about the, the culture where you were. At some point, it appears you came to that proverbial fork in the road where you had to decide, um, I've gone through the channels internally. I have to make a decision for my own career. So I guess how did you make that decision and what advice would you give to someone who may find themselves in a similar situation or in a situation in which the, their workplace culture is having a negative impact on themselves. Sure. So I think that um, there's a few things that kind of came up for me and the re I made the decision because it just was affecting my own personal health um, and I couldn't manage the stress anymore. Um, it was hard to make the decision because I really loved that team a lot and I loved that job and I loved the work that we were doing. I mean, it, I would have stayed there forever. I loved it so much besides what was happening to me. Um, so from that standpoint, it was difficult, but I had to make a decision at some point that my health and my well-being was more important than this job was. Um, but, you know, I made the mistake of leaving there and going into another bad situation at another nonprofit. And so I didn't do any of the, I, I was basically just trying to get out of a burning building and I sort of just jumped into another one. Um, so having a little bit more 
awareness at that point would have been better. Um, and also, I think there's, a, I, I just see a lot of value in people understanding that there are, there's strength in numbers around these situations. Like, if I had gone on the record by myself, none of this would have happened. No one would have cared. Um, or if one other person had done it, no one would have cared. But because we all came together across, you know, I mean, people who hadn't worked there in like six or seven years up to the point when I had worked there, um, we all sort of collectively came together and united around this idea that we, you know, we wanted to see something happen that would be positive. And I think that you have to try to find your allies and then build up some level of strength and resiliency within that group and, and, and try to push back if you can. I mean, I'm saying this as a person who, you know, I didn't have a mortgage. I don't have any kids. So I'm in a particular, I'm in a different situation than a lot of people. Um, but I felt like, you know, if we had come together as like a leadership team at some point and gone to the CEO and the board and said what was going on and, and made a stand that it would be really hard to fire a whole team of people. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and then really, honestly, I think the utilization of the press is really important. Like if it is bad enough that there are, and, you know, and, and it's happening systemically and it's, it's taking away from the community and it's doing all of these things that we've been talking about. I don't see why the press wouldn't be interested in something like that if, you know, they can verify it and people are willing to talk about it. I know that sounds extreme, but that's kind of the world that we live in, I and think. I think that that's a great point, especially because I know in, in these situations, it can feel like you're alone. It can feel as though you are the only one um, who understands what you're going through, or maybe that mm -hmm. they feel that there aren't, and there isn't anyone else who would have your back. So I think that mm -hmm. that advice to look for allies and that there are likely others who have experienced something similar to you is really great advice for people out there. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, like I said, we live in a, a culture where we can be connected. So you can reach out to people that used to work places and talk to them. You know, like, don't ignore the, don't ignore the glass door reviews. Don't feel ashamed to reach out to former employees and try to ask questions. And then the converse of that, and this is something I've been trying to talk about, is that the people who are in organizations or have left organizations um, and or are doing fine need to be a, need to really ask questions of their colleagues and be like, are you really okay? Is everything really okay? Because we put on this happy face and we pretend like everything is fine because we don't want to impact negatively the, the work that we're trying to do. We do this work for a reason. It's really embedded a lot of times in who we are as people to try to make the world a better place. And so we're afraid to speak up and say things aren't going okay because we don't want to impact the organization. But by not saying anything, you're impacting the organization. Right. Well, Rebecca, before we, before we wrap up, um, I want to talk a little bit about what you're up to these days. So you did eventually leave the foundation. You have obviously landed on your feet. Maybe tell our listeners a little bit about what you're doing these days. 
Sure. So I work at a firm in Providence, Rhode Island, um, Orson and Brusini. We do, I do estate planning um, primarily and probate and estate type work. The firm also has a litigation practice and a corporate practice. Um, and, you know, I really enjoy it here. And I, one thing that I really appreciate about being here is that they support me in doing this other work that I'm trying to do around this um, toxicity in the workplace. So um, I've been trying to work. There's actually legislation in, pending in Rhode Island um, that would hopefully help prevent workplace bullying generally, not just obviously in philanthropy. Um, so I've been trying to push that forward. There's some national groups that I've been trying to connect with and work with around this issue. And then I spoke um, to the AFP chapter in San Diego a couple of weeks ago on this issue and got another, you know, really good response. And again, more people telling me their stories out there and, um, and connected with a, a nonprofit consultant there who's been trying to um, do more around this because she had the similar experiences that I had. And so I'm going to try to, you know, we want to try to make this a conversation because like you said, it is very isolating for most people. And so I think if there's an avenue for people to tell their stories at least and feel heard and, and maybe try to figure out a path with other people who have, this has happened to, um, we just feel her and I, that that would be really important um, a really important part of the healing process and maybe also a way to make some sort of systemic change. Um, so that's kind of, you know, the overall of what I'm doing. Rebecca, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Um, you mentioned that, that folks have reached out to you to um, share their experiences and also look for resources. If people want to get in touch with you, uh, maybe share a little bit about um, how, how they might best do that. Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, you, I can be uh, reached by email. My first name, Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A dot D-U-P-R-A-S at gmail.com. Um, so I'd be open to um, talking to people if they want to talk about what's happening to them. Um, I'm always looking for sort of new perspectives too. And I'm, I'm also trying to locate some people who have um, maybe the, the HR side or the, um, the psychology side of this that um, I could get sort of in my sphere and, uh, and make that kind of part of what we're trying to do to make this a more well-rounded conversation. Wonderful. Rebecca, I really want to thank you for taking the time to join us today to share a little bit about your story um, and also to share the ideas and resources for people who might find themselves in a similar situation. So thank you for joining us. No, thank you so much, Greg. I really appreciate it. This has been Nonprofit Vision with Greg Nielsen. Um, if you are enjoying the podcast, um, I encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a review. Those are always welcome and appreciated. Um, and anytime you want to reach out to me directly, whether it's for assistance in your nonprofit organization, or even to suggest a guest or topic for the podcast, uh, please do so. Our website is www.nielsenconsults.com, N-I-E-L-S-E-N, consults.com. Rebecca, thank you again, and have a great day. You too.